Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Diana Kokoska, and we will be talking about her new book, Becoming More. You can't get to better until you get to different. Becoming More is this timeless yet urgently needed message that blends the author's hard-won business and leadership insights with proven models and real-life applications crafted to guide you on a journey of personal and professional growth. The pursuit of becoming more will not only create addition in your life, but will go a step further to multiplication, exponentially enhancing your relationships, finances and career, spiritual and intellectual life. Moreover, it empowers you to uplift and inspire the growth of those around you. Diana Kokoska is an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, author, and mentor. She is an award-winning business leader and has established herself as a prominent figure in the business world, developing many leaders during her longevity. Diana is a certified practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, a founding member of the John Maxwell team of certified coaches, and actively participating in the strategic coach training program. As a lifelong learner, she has followed and has been mentored by John C. Maxwell since the mid-1990s. Her greatest passions revolve around developing leaders and encouraging individuals to recognize and harness their innate potential. For more information, you can visit Diane's website, which is Diana, excuse me, Diana Kokoska.com, and that's D-I-A-N-N-A-K-O-K-O-S-V-K-A. And I also have a link to her website in the show page description. Okay, with that, Diana, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Robert. It's such a pleasure to be here. And you being an author as well, you know a lot about the subject that I'm going to be talking about. Absolutely. And and any time that we can reinforce uh, positive messages and eliminating the the negative and breaking free from patterns is, is always a good time. And, you know, it's even though they're similar messages, it's always good to have like a, a different perspective or, or someone's life experiences to be able to, to demonstrate, you know, how it can be done. So let's start with, um, can you, uh, the, you know, tell us, you know, was there a particular defining moment that inspired you to write this book? 
Well, basically, I, I did a program when I was CEO of Keller Williams of their MAPS coaching and training division. And the training program I wrote was during tough times. The economic had turned down. The economy was going down. Agents were getting out of the real estate industry. And they came to me and they said, write a training program. Well, I wrote the training program called Bold, Business Objective, A Life by Design. And, Robert, about 200,000 agents went through that, mortgage people, salespeople from all over. And we noticed that everything was going up when the economy was going down. Agents that weren't taking the course were getting out of the business, while agents taking the course were literally doubling and quadrupling their business. Well, the agents that took it, they said, when are you going to write a book? And, of course, they said, oh, I'm not going to write a book. Robert, that was the last thing on my mind. Well, I kept getting these texts after I stepped down from CEO, and they said, now you have time. Go write a book. And, you know, you changed my life. And I would say thank you for the great words. I appreciate them. And I would just ignore about writing a book. Well, I was down on my dock one night. We live on a lake. I was reading a book, and one of these texts happened to come through, and it said, thank you for changing my life. This is what I'm doing now. And I was so excited for them, yet once again, they ended with, when are you going to write a book? I thanked them for their kind words, told them to keep up the good work they were doing, and I went back to reading. I turned the page, and there was John F. Kennedy's quote, if not us, who, and if not now, when? And I went, okay. I think I got it. It's time to start writing a book. And so with that, and you already know from writing a book, writing a book is not for the faint at heart. I mean, having the research to back up what you're saying. And I went out on this quest to find a model because I believe that if people can see something and see what they're working towards, it makes it easier to train our brain to a new way of thinking so we can then do those things that have to be done. And I wanted to make sure the model was correct. So I started studying brain scans and getting with doctors and speaking with them and reading neuroscience books. And my brother and sister both had brain tumors, so I had lived with that. I had studied the brain, and I just wanted to help people. So that's how it all came about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to admit now, um, you mentioned me writing the book. I, and you, you know, writing that training program, Bolt, um, I was a corporate trainer prior to my entrepreneurial uh, journey. And, and I was told in the early 90s um, by someone, who, an intuitive I knew, that I'd be writing a book and that would be in like, 2012, and it would get published, and, and I just, I laughed. I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, but when I, you know, left the corporate world, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to see about, you know, trying to write that book. And every time I wrote something, it ended up being like a training manual. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, this can't be this. This isn't, this isn't what it's about, you know. So I mean, and it, and it took a, a good number of years, and, and it really was just on my one of my morning nature walks that I do every day. That the idea for my first book came into into my mind, and you know, the whole kind of plot thing. 
And then I thought, okay, there we go. Now that I can do. <laughs> so, but um, but it is. It's, it's a very different kind of um, activity, um, energy. You know, uh, when you actually sit down to write, you really have to. Um, kind of focus on the message you want to get out and, and choose your words carefully. Yes, because there's only so many words in a book. You don't want to write something so thick no one wants to read, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and make sure that you can keep someone's attention. You know, sometimes it's, you know, not so difficult to at least grab attention, but to keep someone interested to reading to the end, that's, that's a whole different matter. Um, so, um, in, in your book, um, you talk about um, people being able to actively become the creators, crusaders, and champions of, of their own nature. Um, own narrative, you know, and the title of your book is Becoming More. So can you tell us a little bit about um, that, what, what individuals need to um, pay attention to um, in order to become active in that kind of endeavor? Well, as we know, every story has a victim, a villain, and a hero. Some stories include a coach and a mentor. Yet every story, we're either writing the story of our life or we've given the pen to somebody else. And the question is, are we designing our life or are we living a life by default? Because if someone else is holding the pen writing our story, what kind of story are they writing for us? It's probably one that's going to serve them. And are they going to put us as the main character in our own story, or are we going to be in a supporting role to them in the story called our life? So we have to determine, one, to be the main character. Two, what character we are we going to be? The victim, the villain, the hero of our own story, and therefore eventually becoming a coach or a counselor or a mentor for other people. Because what we do will affect other people. It's like a, a ripple that goes on constantly. And I think Robert Louis Stevenson really said it best when he said, to be what we are and to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end of our life. And so the, to our listeners, I, I've got a question. If your life story was put into a book right now, how would it read? Would, would it be a business book, uh, adventure, a romance novel, a fairy tale? What type of book would your story be? And if you don't like your story, then know that you can change your story. Because when you change your mind, you change your life. And when you change your life, you change your story. And our mind is such a powerful tool that we can use. And, well, most of our growth and our change of that story is when we're outside our comfort zone. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, the idea of looking at one story 
and maybe put it in a particular genre of of a, of a book. Um, it, it seems that to be able to, um, first of all, looking at it, you know, one has, I think, would need to decide whether or not, you know, that's the kind of story that they want. You know, I mean, you know, if, if, you know, I am in a victim, you know, I view my story from a victim point of view, and and I don't want that to be, then, you know, it comes to the point of, okay, then what needs to change, what do I need to change in order to make the next chapter, I guess, be something other than victim? And, and that would require action, correct? Yes, absolutely, Robert. And I love where we're going with this because victims do tell stories of how someone wronged them, right? Villains tell stories of how they overpowered somebody. Yet heroes tell story of how they saved the day or they helped other people. And when we start changing that story, it starts with our thoughts. I mean, how are we thinking? And more importantly, how are we thinking about ourselves? And what stories are we telling about ourselves to ourselves? Because after all, the stories we tell ourselves are the most important stories of all. When you're telling yourself a story, then you start believing that story and we start acting as though that story's true. So, Let's think about the stories that are in our head right now. I believe every single person listening has four storytellers in their mind. The first one is the devious storyteller. This is the one that wants us to believe that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we can't do something, and we're either too tall or too short or we're not this or we're not that or we should have said this or we should have said that, we should have done this or we should have done that. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, this particular storyteller, it doesn't even let us sleep at night. It wakes us up with something that maybe the boss said or that the fight that we had with our spouse or whatever's going on. Maybe something you saw on social media and now you're comparing yourself to everybody else. Yet then there's another storyteller called the flattering storyteller. This is the one that makes us feel like, do you know who you're talking to? And we go into that entitlement mindset to where we believe that we're a little bit better than other people and we deserve a little bit more. And then there's the third storyteller that really plays havoc with our lives. It's called the reasonable storyteller. And this storyteller, well, he gives us reasons and excuses for why our life is the way that it is. We we find ourselves not taking responsibility when we allow this storyteller to live rent-free in our heads, telling us that it's not our fault for where we're at. Yet the fourth storyteller is the one that I'd love to help everyone obtain and feed that one and keep that one alive. It's called the empowering storyteller. And it not only allows you to empower yourself, it allows you to empower other people. And that storyteller is going to put our life on a course 
that takes us from success to significance, where success is all about us, and then we cross over to significance where it's all about other people, and we embrace, embrace new things. We embrace a new way of thinking. We embrace opportunity because we know growth is an inside job. And we don't go into opportunity, we grow into it. And that empowering storyteller will help us do that. So in identifying our stories, you know, in those particular examples, um, how would one um, self-identify? I mean, is it through maybe the words that we use or the thoughts, the, you know, the words that we use in our thought pattern um, that can be clues to which one? You know, that's a great question. And, yes, it's a combination. And in the becoming more model, it takes us from who we're being to becoming more this model was designed after John Wooden's success triangle, right? And it worked for him. I thought it would work here. And I literally said, where does this start? It starts with the story of our life. And then it goes to our thoughts because everything in life begins with a thought. And the more we have that thought, the more it's ingrained in our mind and it becomes a belief. And as you already know, Robert, we have limiting beliefs and we have liberating beliefs. Well, which one are we focusing on? Because what we focus on expands. Those beliefs and the thoughts that we have then build our values that we live our life by. Those three go on to help our emotions. And, of course, this mind and body connection, when we think about being insecure, then we have feelings of insecurity. And having feelings of insecurity, our body tells our mind, hey, you need to think more insecure thoughts. And we get into this pattern of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking, and pretty soon we're stuck. And it gives us a mindset. And the mindset, our perception, all of that gives us our words, our character, our goals which then leads to our personal growth, the energy that we give out, and to a new story and the legacy that we leave. So that's the entire triangle, the best way I can put it into a few words. Yeah. So how can one kind of, first of all, recognize and then reshape those Patterns, you know, I mean, it sounds, when you were talking about it, it was like a, a vicious cycle, you know, um, in, you know, thinking insecurity, feeling insecurity, become thinking more insecurity, feeling more insecure. So how can one um, interrupt that um, that cycle? You know, one of the things I found in coaching and building a coaching company and teaching, well, I have 357 one-on-one -on -one coaches and taught them to really listen to the words that people use because those words give us what they're thinking. And there was one lady, Robert, that continually said, oh, this happened, and I was so devastated, and this happened, and I was so depressed, and this happened, and it was 
like, oh, my goodness, by the time I got off the call, it was like I was depressed. Right? <laughs> so I said, you know what, I'm going to change those words. I'm going to have you, instead of saying I'm depressed or I'm devastated, yes, you can tell me what happened, yet I want you to say, and I'm working through it in this way. And it was amazing. She had to think about how she was working through it or how she was going to work through it if she hadn't started. Well, her production went up. I mean, it was amazing what started happening. It was something that she would begin in the morning with, oh, I'm so devastated. She would catch herself and say, no, I'm working through it. And the more she worked through it, the happier she became. And the happier she became, the better her energy got. And the better her energy got, the more production she did. It was a vicious cycle that instead of taking her down, was taking her upward just by those few words. Another word is, well, I'm going to try to do that. No, Yoda had it right. There is no try. You do or do not. (laughs) So I'm going to work at it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to maybe fail at it, yet I'm going to keep working towards what it is I want. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, and I love that uh, reshaping, you know, because so many times I've heard um, mentors or coaches trying to deny to have someone deny what they're feeling or you know it's like i'm so happy when you're not happy you know and to me it was it was like no your subconscious can say hell no (laughs) that is not true it knows it knows when you're lying to it your brain knows (laughs) exactly exactly and so you know the idea of you know, when the the statement or you know, thought, you know, pops up and, and then indicating that you are actively working through it, you know, or working toward a particular end, um, it to me it does it does a couple of things. Number one, it doesn't deny what you're feeling. And number two, it puts you in a position of working toward correcting it. You know, realizing that, you know, that, you know, I may feel this particular way now, but, you know, this is what I'm doing about it, you know. And so it, it kind of doesn't ignore, you know, the limiting thought, um, but it does open it up for that, you know, becoming boundless, you know, or opening it up to solutions. Yeah, and one of the things... Robert is, I hear a lot of women particularly saying, oh, I I can't do that because I have to take my kid to school or I have to take them to soccer or to football practice or whatever it is, right? And just by changing that I have to to I get to, we're helping our children. After all, to have, let's say I had an operation and you said, well, I have to drive Diana around because she can't drive herself. 
Well, mm-hmm. you know, I could take on being a burden, like, oh, my goodness, that makes me feel terrible that I'm taking his time, instead of saying, hey, I get to drive her around. It's going to be so great. And there will be a time in our lives when our kids grow up that we wish we had the opportunity to take them to soccer again or to football practice or whatever. Another one is, oh, well, I should do that. No, 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 no. I could do that. Could means you have a choice. Should sounds like you're doing something wrong. If I said, well, whatever, whoever's name I want to use, let's say, Joe, you should do that. That sounds like whatever he did is wrong and he should have done something else. Where I I said, hey, Joe, you could do this. That just gives him another option or another choice. And we already know that the story of our lives and the direction of our lives is based upon the decisions that we make every single day. And the decisions are some of the words that we use. Frustrated. Frustrated shuts the brain down. It just literally, when we're frustrated, we're focused on what we're frustrated about. Whereas if I say I'm fascinated, fascination brings creativity to life. Why am I fascinated about what's going on? And if I'm fascinated because I don't like it, well, then I'm opening up my creativity to change it. So those are just a few of the words, and, of course, the chapter gives you quite a few different words that I have found through coaching people made a big difference in not only their production, more importantly, their life and their joy that they were feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the switchy have to to get to, um, you know, and particularly when you were talking about children, you know, um, as a child – from a child's perspective, you know, the fact that a parent feels that they have to do something is, is like, it's a burden, you know, that, that it's, you know, they're, you know, and then many times children feel responsible for their parents, you know, attitude, uh, feelings, you know, all those kinds of things, um, versus if a parent were to say to get to, it would, from a child's perspective, point like it's a it's a treat it's an honor it's you know it's fun it's you know i have a great opportunity here to do whatever you know and the words that we use around kids and in my book i talk about clint pulver he's a great friend he's an emmy award-winning motivational speaker musician Uh, he's traveled all over the world he's been in movies he's played as uh, as a drummer for, uh, oh, my goodness, Madonna, uh, Lady Gaga, um, many, many performers. And yet when he was a child, he was known as a problem child in school. And, of Mm -hmm. course, everybody, when he was in school, he'd, like, tap his hands. And the teacher would go, quit tapping your hands. And so she said, put your hands in your pocket. He'd put them in there, and then he'd start tapping his feet, and she'd go, quit tapping your feet. Get down to the principal's office. And this poor kid was in the principal's office all the time. Well, he was put in this one teacher's class, Mr. Jensen, and Mr. Jensen, um, you know, he started 
noticing that Clint was tapping his hands and tapping his feet. And he goes, Clint, I want you to stay after class today. And I'll, of course, it's just great. All the kids, ooh, Clint, what you do? <laughs> That's so bad, you know. And, of course, Clint knew he was a problem child. So Mr. Jensen said to Clint after class, he said, can you pat your head and rub your stomach this way? Clint did it. And he goes, now switch and do the opposite. Clint did it. He goes, switch hands. And Clint did it. And he goes, you know what, Clint? I don't think you're a problem. I think you're a drummer. And with that, (laughs) he reached in his drawer and he gave Clint his first pair of drumsticks. Now, I already told you, he travels the world. He's been on America's Got Talent. He was in uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite as a drummer. He's, he's been all over because of Mr. Jensen being able to see something in Clint and use the proper words with Clint to have him discover his talent, his greatness. Yet all the other teachers kept telling him, yep. He's a problem, child. So I don't care where we've been or what words have been spoken over us. You can choose new words because words can change our brain. I mean, Dr. Andrew Newberg, he's a neuroscientist at Thomas Jefferson University, and along with a, a colleague, oh, Mark Robert Waldman, he's an expert in communication. And he said that the power of words on our thinking and our actions matters so much that just by holding a positive and optimistic word in our mind, we stimulate the frontal lobe. It brings on more activity inside the brain, and that means that our language centers are lit up. And they found that it actually plays a crucial role in our perception and our health. That by holding those positive thoughts, actually affect our genes and alter our genes when we go to negative thoughts. I I just thought the whole research was fascinating, and, of course, I, I put it in my book because our habitual language, our habitual thoughts, all of these things are affecting our health more than people actually think about. And two words that I think make everybody feel good is, me too. When somebody's telling you something that's happened with them, you go, me too. I understand. And all of a sudden, we open the doors to acceptance. Yeah. Very good. Well, well, Diana, we're about halfway through the show, so I want to take a quick break. And then when we returned, there was one model that you had in your book that I, I liked and thought that we can maybe talk a bit about because I think the listeners would, you know, get some insight, and that's the adaptive learning model. So when we come back, let's talk about that, okay? That sounds great. It's one of my favorite models. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder... We have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, www.byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to the more than 1,700 shows 
we have aired during the past 13 years. Also on the site are links to the products and services we provide. Books, photography products and services, calendars and greeting cards. There is also a link to our account at Fine Art America where you can purchase items such as mugs, prints, pillows, and more. Our show is available as a free podcast on multiple platforms such as iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Audible, with icons to each platform on our homepage. We are also available on social media platforms such as Facebook, X, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Threads. Our website, www.byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Diana Kokoska. And we are talking about her new book, her work, and her new book, Becoming More, You Can't Get to Better Until You Get to Different. And again, you can find out more about all that Diana has to offer by visiting her website, which is dianakokoska.com, and that's D-I-A-N-N-A-K-O-K-O-S. Z-K-A. And again, I do have a direct link to that website in the show page description. Okay, we're back, Diana. Excellent. It's so good to be on your show, Robert. Thank you. I'm enjoying our conversation. I have a lot of uh, things running through my head right now. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> some of the things you've spoken about. Um, so, um, when looking at your book, um, and you mentioned, you know, in your preparation for the book um, that you went through and were looking for particular models that worked, um, the one that kind of stuck out to me was the adaptive learning module, model. So, can you talk a little bit, you know, about that model and, you know, kind of how you came to, to, to I guess, create that model? Oh, thank you for asking. It's one of my favorite models in the book. Every chapter has a model because I believe that people can learn more from seeing things sometimes than just reading about them or hearing about them. Well, my my brother, uh, there were there were four kids and a cousin that lived in our household, and having one bathroom, my parents, in their wisdom, gave each of us fifteen minutes in that bathroom to get ready for school. And we went to work at the uh, family-owned grocery store before school every morning, leaving at 5.30. So if you were the first one, oh, Robert, it was so good uh, because you had 15 minutes. The worst part was you had to get up early. Now, the last one, though, even though you got to sleep in, which was good, was not good because, after all, you got the remaining period of time. And if everybody took their 15 minutes, well, you got 15 minutes. So the other people had went over. Your 15 sometimes dwindled to five. So my parents did a rotation to give everybody their fair share of unfairness, right? I was number five one day. My brother was in the bathroom. And 
he was going way over his time, and Robert, I was getting so upset. I mean, my goodness, I was pounding on the door, and I was screaming, Larry, you let me in. And I became so proficient because every time I was in the final one, a lot of people weren't giving me enough time in the restroom. So I took the rat tail comb, took the end of it, put it in that lock, and I popped the lock and opened up the door, and there was my brother laying on the floor. His eyes were rolled back. I thought he was dead. I let out the biggest scream. And, of course, Mom and Dad came running. And, Robert, the next thing I knew, they were in an ambulance heading from Vernal, Utah, to Salt Lake City. And this was back in the day when, well, there were no neuroscience departments that Mm -hmm. Harvard hadn't even opened any of that up. And, they went to Salt Lake, and the, and the hospital did all they could, surgery, everything, yet they didn't have rehabilitation centers. And they sent my brother home and said he'd probably never walk again, and he had to learn how to talk all over again because of where the tumor was. And, of course, they had saved his life, which was the greatest part of it, yet different chose my brother. He didn't choose different. And... My mom and dad, in their infinite wisdom, literally gave us a tape recorder. And when I wasn't working at the grocery store or in school, I had the privilege of literally, with that tape recorder, saying a word. Larry would say the word. I'd rewind it. We'd play it back. Well, as I said, as time went on, he started reading books, and one of those books was The Little Engine That Could. And I thought, is that true? Is that statement really true? And if he had to learn to speak all over again and learn to walk all over again, how did all of that come about? And this adaptive learning model, literally, even though I didn't see it as clearly back then, I saw it as I got into my own businesses. We learn something, we implement something, We fail at it, and we make corrections and learn a new way. I mean, with each choice that we make comes risk. We don't know precisely where that option is going to lead us and and where we're going to go. We have a feeling of where we're going to go, yet we're going to experience failure along the way somewhere because, well, some people think that failure and success are on opposite ends of the spectrum where they're literally a two-lane highway side by side. You show me people that are very successful, and I'll show you people that have failed, yet they didn't fail precisely because they kept going. They made corrections and became better. I mean, your life, your family's life, your businesses, you're not going to get beyond failing at some time. The question is, are you going to learn from that? Because I say, don't don't count your losses, count your lessons, right? Hmm. That's a a good mind-altering kind of approach uh, that, that, uh, you know, I've never heard that, but um, it's a great way to, um, to recognize that, 
they aren't really losses, that they're lessons, you know, and it's just, um, it's kind of like, you know, adjustments that you make in any, you know, walk of life, you know, or any activities you, you do and you adjust. And then, you know, the, uh, when you're talking about your brother, I couldn't help but think, I think I can, I think I can, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> So, so, you know, and, you know, that is uh, kind of the epitome of, you know, resilience in, in, in working toward a particular goal. Exactly. And when yeah. people start thinking about their world and they start believing that their external world is more important than their internal world, well, they're just going to keep getting the same thing that they've always gotten. And, you know, John Maxwell told me a long time ago, you grow within or you go without. And so what mm -hmm. we're talking about in that adaptive learning model is are you growing through life or are you just going through life? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's the idea of kind of being – an active participant in your life, you know, being, you know, rather than allowing life to, you know, to guide you, you guide your life. You know, that's so important, isn't it? We've got to pick yeah. up the pen and write our own story, being, you know, the creator, <laughs> the main character, the crusader, and the champion of it. Exactly. And, and you know, a... Uh, fantasy uh, story or a rom-com, you know, those, those candidates, <laughs> you know, and however you want to, to write your story. Um, now, there, there was a, another approach that was in your book that I'd like to maybe talk a, a little bit about, um, and it's um, an approach for people to in, encounter transformative change, and it is a B- do, have, give approach. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, that um, that is very much, to me, it seems a very active participation. I'm so glad you asked about that. Earlier we talked about the, the victim, the villain, and the, the hero, uh, coach and, and mentor in our lives, right, and how our story is reading. And this is part of it because the, the victim, well, they tend to think about things like, oh, well, if I had what so-and-so had, I could do what they do, and then I'd be just like them. And they think that their whole life is about have, do, and then be, you know, if I have enough money, then I can do what I want to do, and then I'll be successful. And then you take the, the villain, and they go, no, 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 it's all about doing. you got to do it. you got to do it. you got to learn how to do it. You just do it. You just do it. You just do it. And they think and live their life in the thing of do, have, and then be. So if I do enough, then I'll have enough, and then I'll be enough in my own mind. Well, the hero absolutely knows that, first of all, you've got to be like somebody in order to do what they do, and then you'll have what they have. So they live their life in be, do, have, 
coach and mentor, they add a little bit more to it because they're always giving back. And they say it's not just about who you're being and what you're doing to have things. you got to have it to give it. And so they say live your life in the be, do, have, and then give model. And I know there's many, many nonprofits out there, and yet what are we giving? A lot of people say, oh, well, when I have enough, I'll give some. No, we give first. And then it's amazing how much more we have. I mean, George Bernard Shaw, I love what he said, when the reasonable man adapts himself to the world and the unreasonable man adapts the world to himself. So what do we want our world to be like? Do we want to be a giver? Sometimes you just live on 70%, give 10% away, and invest or save 20%. So much of the world right now is about having things that when they get a raise, they just spend more money. They just buy more things to have, and yet they never really become the best version of themselves. They're not growing within. They're just adding to all the things that they already have. Yeah, and I, and I think that um, focus on having um, is what leads to many people feeling unhappy with their life, even if they have, you know, material, um, you know, stuff in their life or material things that they wanted to achieve or even their professional level of achievement they have made, um, they're still not happy. So it, it seems that that give aspect is a crucial element toward one being happy with who they are. You know, the fact you brought up happiness, I I really am glad you did because happiness is a state of mind. We were either having happy thoughts or unhappy thoughts, and they found that uh, unhappy thoughts literally brings on a lot of unfortunate effects. I mean, a higher heart rate, poor sleep, headaches, wrinkles from all the frowning you do. I mean, (laughs) it's quite interesting. When we look at our life, I remember meeting Oprah Winfrey, and she said, when you find more to be grateful for, you'll find more to be grateful for. And the more grateful you are, I believe, the more comes into your life to show gratitude towards. It's kind of like the California gold rush. People didn't look for the dirt. They looked for the gold. Yet in our society... So many people are complaining all the time, always looking for what's wrong, always complaining about what's not working for them, instead of looking for the gold of what is working, what is moving forward. I know I get stuck in that from time to time. We want something or desire something so bad that we start looking for the things and why it's not working instead of focusing on what is working and doing more of that. And um, now, as I mentioned, 
how do those tools fit into becoming more? Okay, so one of the things, and, and I'm, you're kind of cutting out here for me to hear, about the tools of becoming more, basically it's, it starts with our thinking. And, well, who is it that we desire? Let's start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey taught us to in The Seven Habits. He said, where do you want to end up? And so it's kind of like, if you don't know where you're going, you're just going to drive aimlessly all over town. Well, knowing where you're going, let me ask you, who do you desire to be known for? And when this time on earth comes to an end, what do you want somebody to stand up and say about you? In the book, I say, as terrible as it sounds, write your eulogy. Write out what you would like someone to say about you. And then dwindle it down to just a couple of sentences. Mine is, after writing the entire eulogy, came out to, she made a difference and added value to other people. That's what I want mm. to be known for. And so every morning at 7 a.m., my phone has an alarm, and it says, what will you do today to add value to others? And at 7 p.m., I have another notification that pops up, and it says, what did you do today to add value to others? And before we had that on our phones, I actually wrote that in my paper calendar every morning, every night. So what is it that you desire to be known for and what promptings will you put within your, your life, within your daily routine to remind you to constantly look at that? Because otherwise we won't implement. And I, I think the world right now is so addicted to information and allergic to implementation that we've got to put things into a system, into a pattern that helps remind our brain what is going on. I mean, now I hear the alarm. I don't even have to look. I know what it says, right? I've looked at it every single day, yet it does remind me. It's, in fact, the other day I said, oh, it's 7 a.m. <laughs> it was like, they go, you have an alarm at 7 a.m.? You're already up. And I go, no, that alarm is to remind me to add value to people. And so I appreciate you allowing me to be on your radio show, Robert, and and I trust that I've added value in some way. Oh, absolutely. Hey, like I said earlier, um, you had our, – our conversation has me thinking many different things <laughs> uh, as far as, you know, what I can do um, to switch up my thinking um, and actions. And, again, with, you know, some of the examples that you provided for – you know, um, reframing one's thought um, is are very valuable because I think that you know this that's one thing that people can do. It doesn't cost a penny, <laughs> but can have a huge impact on their life. Absolutely. I mean, our our tomorrows are made up and determined by the thoughts that we allow to occupy our brain today. And we have to train our brain, as stubborn as it can be, we've trained it to be what it is right now. Our brain isn't doing the thinking for us. We've taught it to do the thinking for us. 
and we can change it. That's the biggest part because nerve cells that fire together, wire together, like going across a, a patch of grass or over a field and you walk through it once, it's no big deal. You keep walking that same way over and over and over again. You not only wear out the grass, you can put a rut right into, into the ground. Yet now, the other part that's so good is nerve cells that no longer wire together or no longer fire together, no longer wire together, which means you start taking another route, well, the grass will start growing back in that area. So we're literally retraining it. It's kind of like a child, okay? It's summertime. You let your kids stay up really late. Now, all of a sudden, school's going to be starting. And you're going, uh, it's 8.30, got to get to bed. Well, the child goes, are you kidding? I've never gone to bed at 8.30. I mean, you let me stay up till 10 or 10.30 during the summertime. And they fight the parent to stay up. And, of course, the parent has to be very, very controlling to a certain point and say, no, you're going to bed now. So the kid goes to bed. The next night, they go through the same thing. The third night, maybe five nights in a row. Who knows how many nights? Yet eventually, it's 8.30, the kid knows to go to bed. Your brain's the same way. You can't just tell it to think differently one time and have it think differently. You have to literally wire and fire and rewire and just keep it going because what we choose to think and what we choose to believe is going to make us into the person that we are. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea of neuroplasticity, you know, the ability of the brain to rewire itself, you know, is one that um, for, I think, for many years, it, it, it wasn't, I don't know, it was recognized as, you know, as a possibility. You know, I mean, you got your brain, you got your connections, and that's what it is. Um, but the idea of being able to rewire those transmissions um, and pathways and create new pathways and, and even allow other pathways to die off is something that I think you know, we now know is, is a reality. And for people to be able to, to do that, it does, like you say, take, you know, consistent um, activity, you know, to form those new pathways. But if you kind of keep keep it up, then those pathways, you know, will go from having to be like a conscious effort to being unconscious, you know, so that then it becomes a natural way for the you know for you and the brain to react, you know, rather than having to think about it and then take action, you know. So you kind of want to go from the that. From the subconscious, where the way it's been working for forever, you know, to the conscious of making a different choice. Um, again, keep doing it enough to the point where it becomes subconscious. It becomes effortless to be able to follow that new path. And, you know, in our mindset, I'm so glad you said the subconscious because your mindset lives in the subconscious mind. Attitude is conscious. And if you've ever set a goal, well, goals are set with our conscious mind, yet the conscious mind is the goal setter and the unconscious mind is the goal getter. If they're not in alignment, we're not going to make goals. 
And so how do you know what your mindset is? I developed a mindset assessment where you can go on and by just checking all of the things that apply the way that you think, it will literally tell you where you are on a bar chart and on a pie chart, how much of entitlement you have versus gratitude, how much fixed mindset versus growth, uh, doubt versus confidence, humility versus uh, humbleness, I mean, or excuse me, humility uh, versus hubris, sorry, uh, all these mm-hmm. things that you'll find out about yourself. And that's on becomingmorebook.com. And they can find out all about that and, and a little bit more about the book, becomingmorebook.com. Well, great. Well, Diana, this has really been a delight to chat with you, and I look forward to connecting with you on on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I noticed you have those icons on your website. Yes, I do. Looking forward to joining you there. Thank you for your time today. It's really been a treat. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Great. You're welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Diana Kokowska. And we have been talking about her new book, Becoming More. You can't get better until you get to different. Um, again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is dianakokoska.com. And that's D-I-A-N-N-A-K-O-K-O-S-Z-K-A.com. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to BikeRadio.me's Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. To become a show follower, visit www.blogtalkradio forward slash me and click on the follow link. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at BikeRadioMe. Be sure to visit our website at www.biteradio.me, that's B-I-T-E-R-A-D-I-O dot M-E. And until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.